Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation and chapter number 20. Revelation and chapter number 20. We are now at the tail end of our series of the Millennial Kingdom. And we've already examined the Millennial Kingdom. We've examined the nuts and bolts. Who's going to be there? What's it going to be like? And now we've come to the end of the millennial kingdom, right on the threshold, looking right over the edge of eternity future. This is going to be an important transition point right here as we now transition from the millennial kingdom to a place that everything is going to change. And the next two messages of the series will finish us up speaking about eternity future and going over some of the details that are revealed but now we come to a very important point in history. In fact, one of the most important points of all of history is recorded here in the book of Revelation chapter 20. And one that everyone who ever lived will be a part of in one way or another. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, and if you don't mind, let's begin at verse number 11. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to his works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire and if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Revelation chapter 20? Revelation chapter 20, and notice with me in verse 11, the phrase, a great white throne. A great white throne. And with this, we're going to explore this historical event that's still in the future. This event that is called the great white throne. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, Lord, we now approach a very somber, heavy subject. A subject that we definitely do not take pleasure in, but yet you record it and thus it must be true. I'm asking that you would just give us wisdom and give us discernment now. That you would help this to be clear. That you would allow this to be a help. And that you would help people to make the decisions they need to make because of the teaching and because of this as being a factual event that we're all going to stand and face. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us now to be clear and let us have great understanding. In your name we pray. Amen. The great white throne. If you don't mind, as we start off, let's just explain some things. The first thing is the dead standing before God. The dead standing before God. Notice with me in verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne and him, this is God, that sat upon it, whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no 
place for them. Here it is dealing with the idea that God is sitting on this great white throne and he's sitting in all of his glory. And compared to him, there is nothing that can stand in his presence. There is nothing that compare that at this moment all eyes are on God during this judgment. It says in verse 12, and I saw the dead small and great stand before God. So who are these people that are going to stand before God in this throne? Who is it? Now we know that this event is going to culminate in going into the lake of fire, what we would often call hell, eternity hell. And this is a time where people are going to stand before God and they are going to be judged. The whole passage speaks about this. And they're going to be judged and cast into an awful, awful place called hell. Now, if I could be honest, if there was one doctrine in the Bible that I could choose not to believe, it would be this one here. I wish there was no such place as a hell. It is an awful place where real people go there. Someone say, why do you believe in such an awful place? It's not because of, this is what I want. I believe it because this is what God said. And what he said is true. That there is an awful place called hell. And real people go to this awful, awful place. Someone says, who is it that goes to hell? And that's a very good question. Who is it that goes to hell? Maybe I could rearrange the question a little bit and say, <clears throat> when, instead of saying, who is it that goes to hell? Maybe we should ask the question, why does a man go to hell? Why does a man go to hell? Now, normally, if I ask that question in such a way, why does a person go to hell? Someone will say, people go to hell because they're sinners. But did you know that's not a correct answer? Ah. <gasps> People don't go to hell because they're sinners. If that was true, then guess what, friend? You and I are all sinners. If sinners went to hell, then dear friend, we have no hope because we're sinners. Every single one of us are sinners. There is none righteous. No, not one. Every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have fallen past God's standard of perfection. So being a sinner is not why people go to hell. Why does a man go to hell? Why does someone go to hell? Well, they don't go to hell because of the types of sins that they do. They don't go to hell for the types of sins they do. In fact, notice the passage here in verse 12. And I saw the dead small and great. Notice this phrase, small and great. What does this mean? The dead small and standing small and great. Well, what this phrase means is that small sinners and great sinners are standing here. There are some people that teach that there are different classifications of sin. That they say that, that there are small venial sins. That, you know, I could tell a little white lie and that's all right. And, or, or, you know, I could, I, could, um, I could cheat on this little test here and that's not a big deal. Th those are not big sins at all and, and that's a different category. But, you know, if you commit a cardinal sin, but, well, let me tell you, that's when you deserve hell. So if you've ever killed a man, if you ever uh, decided that you were going to commit adultery, those are major sins and those are sins that are required. Well, let me tell you that any sin is a sin. God hates all sin. There is no different classifications of sins in the Bible. Now we understand different sins have different consequences, but God hates all sin. And this phrase here, small and great, is the idea of a great sinner or a small sinner. We understand and we would expect mass murderers like a Mussolini, like a Stalin, like a Hitler to be there. But you know who else is going to be here? Grandma Dorothy. Little sweet old lady who never killed anybody before. But she had broken God's laws, wasn't perfect. She will be there too if she's never accepted Christ as her Savior. 
You understand what causes a man to go to hell? It's not because they're a sinner because we're all sinners. And it's not because of the types of sins we do because God hates all sin and his standard is perfection. And we've all come short of that. We've all missed it. You say then why is it that a man goes to hell? A man goes to hell because they never came to the place where they personally accepted Christ to be their savior. You see, every single one of us are sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. All of us have come short of the glory of God. You say, well, wait a second. I'm not a bad person. Well, the Bible gives us God's standards that we have to live up to and what is often called the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shall not bear false witness. Or we would say, don't tell lies. Well, let's just try this out. If you've ever told a lie, raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. We've all broken this. That's God's standard. If you told a lie, you have fallen short of God's standard of perfection. You say, that's not right. Why not? God's the one who set the rules. You see, heaven is a perfect place. And in order to be in heaven, you get to dwell with God. But in order to be there, you must be perfect. And there are none that are perfect. We've all sinned that come short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. So we don't go to heaven because we deserve it. In fact, none of us deserve it. A man has to realize that they're a sinner and then we have to realize that because of our sin, we've offended a holy, righteous God. Hold your finger here if you don't mind. We're going to come back. Turn with me if you don't mind to the book of the gospel record of John. The gospel record of John in John chapter 3, in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious ruler. He's a Pharisee. And by the example of his life, Nicodemus was a good person. A righteous person. A person who's tried to live correctly. Nicodemus was not accused of murder. He's not accused of breaking the law. In fact, he is an older man who people look and say, this is someone who's lived a good life. And yet Jesus says unto him, verily, verily, you must be born again. Well, Nicodemus scratched his old silver head and said, I don't get it. It's not like I crawl back into mom. And Jesus goes and he explains quite a bit. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 17. John chapter 3 and verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not, notice this, is condemned already. What is this word condemned? This means that you've already been found guilty. You see, the great white throne is not the judgment to see if you are guilty. The great white throne is the judgment where you receive sentence for your guilt. Because you are guilty already. You are condemned already. There is no trial that is needed to prove your guilt. It has already been proven. Every single one of us are sinners. Well, how did I get my sin? Well, sorry to tell you, you were born with it. You were born with it. But, but, nah, my baby is perfect. Well, then give that newborn a couple more days and you'll find out. They're sinners. You think about it. Did you ever have to sit your kids down and say, all right, now in order to survive life, I have to teach you how to lie. Did you ever have that course at home? Well, of course not. Why? They already know how to lie. Did you ever have to sit your kids down and have a course that in order to survive life, you're going to have to steal? Did you have to, have to teach them that? No. They knew how to do it already. I heard a preacher giving an illustration like this, that he had his small little son, and as he brought him home, or as the kid was growing up, he walked in one time, there was this kid 
with an open jar full of grape jelly. And grape jelly was up his arms, in his hair, in his nose. The preacher said he was so far up there that he shook his child and grape jelly just fell out of the nose. And when he first got in there and he said, hey, who got in the grape jelly? The kid looked up, grape jelly all over. I don't know. Not me. Who taught him to do that? Was there a course that they took? They're sinners already. And by the way, when the parent was looking at the child, that child was condemned already. He was already guilty. There was no trial that was needed. He was condemned already. We as sinners, we don't have a trial about our sins because we are already condemned. We are already found guilty. In fact, we as sinners are awaiting sentence. We're awaiting to see the judgment because of our sins. Notice in John chapter 3 to at the end of the chapter, verse number 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. But notice this, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Notice that abideth, that E-T-H. This is a way of conveying the idea of present tense action, continual action. The wrath of God is continually upon that person. Why? They are already condemned. They are waiting sentencing. They are already found guilty. Every single one of us are sinners. And because of our sin, we are guilty. We are already found guilty. We are deserving of punishment. We are deserving of hell. Why is it that a man goes to hell? It's not because he's a sinner. It is not because of the types of sins he does. It is because he has never come to the place where he personally asked Jesus to save him. As a preacher, I deserve hell. But I'm thankful I'm not going there. Not because of whom I am. It's not because I'm a pastor and I decided that I was going to live a good life and that I was going to outwork what I already owed. I owed hell. There's no way for me to pay that. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a preacher. I'm not going to heaven because I have a Bible. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a part of a church. I'm not going to heaven because I gave money into the offering plate. The only reason why I'm going to heaven is nothing that I did, but that God died on the cross for my sins. And I came to the place where I personally accepted Christ as my Savior. Who goes to hell? Why is it that a man goes to hell? The only reason why a man goes to hell is because he's never personally accepted Christ as a Savior. That's the only reason. Nobody has to go to that awful place called hell. Notice as you're in John chapter 3, notice what it says in verse 16. The most famous Bible verse in all of the world. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know that Jesus dying on the cross Paid the price for the entire world. Nobody has to die and go to hell. When Jesus died on the cross, it was a big enough payment that it paid for every sinner and every sin that was committed. Jesus' blood was enough. There is room at the cross for you. There is no cutoff, meaning that there's not only a certain number of people that can come in, nor is it that only a certain type of person can come in. Amen. But God has made it so anyone and everyone from any time, in any place, in any country, this is not a white person religion. This is for the entire world. Anyone and everyone can accept this free gift. 
It is not because of me, but it's all because of him. I deserve to be roasting in hell now because I'm a sinner and the sins that I've done. By the way, I deserve to be in hell because of my sins after I've been saved. Because I still sinned after I accepted Christ. The only reason why I'm not going there is there was a time in my life, a point action time in my life where I received that gift for myself. You don't slowly become born again. There is a point time in action where you accepted Christ and you met with the Savior and he accepted you. That was a point action. Everyone needs to have that point action in time. Religion doesn't save you and our works don't save you. We are all guilty. We're all condemned. And when the white throne judgment stands, it is not to assess guilt. It is to pass out punishment. And when people stand before that white throne judgment, you will have great sinners and you'll have small sinners. You will have sweet old grandmas who were the nicest people who baked us pie and made food for us and made sure we never starved. But they never accepted Christ and they'll be there. You'll have sweet kids, teenagers, who tried to live what was right but they died never accepting Christ and they will be there as well. It is not a fun doctrine. It is not a happy doctrine, but it is a true doctrine because Jesus died so anyone and everyone could be saved. Anyone and everyone can go to heaven, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus paid the entire price for us. So those who stand before God, they're not going to be judged for their sins they're going to receive the sentence because of their sins. We see the dead standing before God. Notice in the book of Revelation chapter 20 as we go on, talking about the white throne judgment, that we understand that the dead are standing before God, the great sinners and the small sinners. It doesn't matter who they are, where they come from. They have two things in common, that they're all sinners and they never personally accepted Christ as their Savior. We see a second thing here. We see that the books were opened. The books were open. Notice if you don't mind in verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books, notice this is plural. It's not one book. They are books, plural. The books were opened And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. Notice that there are books plural. What books are going to be opened here during this great white throne judgment? Well, the Bible describes basically three different books that people are going to be judged for at this. What are the books? The first of all is the books of works. The books of works. This isn't a biblical name, but this is a name that we've uh, assigned to it so we can have an understanding. And in the book of works, keeps a listing of all the things you've done in your life. Could you imagine everything you've ever done? Most of us, if we were to be honest, forgot most of the things we've done. You can't even recall all the sins you've ever committed. But God has them all listed. And when we take that list and we have them open before God, we find out that we're not as good as we think we are. To have everything that's ever been done listed. And it is out of the book of works that the sentence is going to be carried out. In fact, notice in verse 12 at the end of it. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. Notice this. According to their works. And the sea gave up the dead and which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. What's happening is that they're receiving sentence 
because of the sins they have committed. They are condemned already before here. Now they're receiving sentence based off of all the multitudes of sins they have committed. And they're going to be cast into an awful place called the lake of fire. That's one book. There's another book that it's mentioned here. Notice again in verse number 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The book of life. Now the book of life is mentioned in several different places throughout the scripture. The book of life is this. Anyone who has ever conceived. Now we have to define our terms now. Not everyone who was born, but everyone who has ever conceived is written in the book of life. And their name is written down and every person who has ever conceived. And if a person gets to the place where they die understanding what sin is and there's consequences for their sin, but they've never accepted Christ as their savior, the Bible says that their name will be blotted out. That's a way of erasing it. Back in those old days, people are used to using a papyrus type of paper and you could blot something out only once, but you could erase their name out. So if someone lived their life, they were born or they conceived, born, they lived their life, came to a place of understanding in their life that right is right and wrong is wrong, but they never accepted Christ as their savior, their name will be blotted out of this book. This is important. Now, it does give us some comfort. Let's say that there was someone that was conceived and born but they died before coming to what we would call an age of understanding. Again, that's not a biblical term. It's a term that we've associated with it to give us understanding. Let's say that someone, a child dies at three. Let's say a horrible thing happens, a disease, an illness, accident. Because a child at three cannot understand that they're a sinner and there's consequences for their sin, their name would not be blotted out. Their name would remain in the book of life. That means they would not be sentenced to an awful place called hell, but they're going to be safe with the Lord. Now that gives great comfort. David referred to this when he had a child that was born dead or that was born and then died a couple days afterwards. He said, he can't come to me, but I can go to him. David understood that this child was somewhere forever and he was going to be with the Lord and David could go with him. Now that's help to us. Because God's not a cruel God. He will not put guilt on someone who cannot understand that what they're doing is wrong. Does that make sense? Now, different people will have different ages of accountability. For people who are raised in a disciplined home, children can understand the gospel earlier because they can understand there's consequences for their actions. And thus they can understand that they're a sinner and need of a savior. Does that make sense? This is why raising children are such an important job because we want to raise them where they understand consequences so they can receive this gift of salvation. There are some kids that grow up with no punishment and they don't have an idea of the concept till later on in life that there's consequences for their actions. Let's say that there's someone that grew up with some type of mental physical defect where they just don't ever come to the place. They understand there's consequences for their actions. If they were to die, where would they would go? They would go to heaven because their name was not blotted out of the book of life that they're safe with the Lord. Does that make sense? We're just trying to untangle knots and trying to make things clear because God is not a horrible God. He's not a mean God and he's not an evil God. He does understand that you must come to a place of understanding your actions have consequences for you to be guilty. Does that make sense? Now, someone, (laughs) pause, um, I'll get back to that thought in a second. So we have two books that we listed. We have the book of works. Again, that's a title we give to it just to kind of understand this is a book that has all of our things that we've done wrong and we're going to be sentenced according to our works. 
if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. There's the book of life. Everyone who was ever conceived is written in that light book. And if they die without accepting Christ as their Savior, their name will be blotted out. And those that remain have either accepted Christ as their Savior or never came to the place of understanding. Does that make sense? So let's say that there was a miscarriage. The child was conceived, but they were not born. Where would they go? They would go and be safe with the Lord because their name was not blotted out of the book of life. Does that make sense? Uh, now, this is a comfort to a lot of folks who have may have gone through a tragedy such as that. But the Bible also mentions a third book that we're judged for. And it makes mention here in Revelation. Notice with me Revelation 21. Revelation 21, and notice with me verse 27. It's mentioned a couple places, but 27 is close. Uh, Matt, uh, Revelation 21, 27. Revelation 21, 27 says this, And there shall be in no wise enter into anything that defileth it, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life. This is the third book that we're judged from, and this is the Lamb's book of life. Now, this is different from the other book of life. The book of life has the names listed of everyone who was conceived and either accepted Christ or died before they could understand the consequences of right and wrong. The Lamb's book of life is completely different. The Lamb's book of life is like Jesus's personal journal of everyone who trusted him. Oh, I'm so thankful that Sally accepted me today. Her name's getting put in. And the Bible says that no man's name could ever get blotted from that book. That means there's nothing you could do to have your name be erased from there. Isn't that a comfort? That once we've accepted Christ, we're in his personal diary and we can never get erased. We can never get blotted out. He can never tear out the page. Isn't that a blessing? And as long as we're written in Jesus's lamb, uh, the Lamb's book of life, we are guaranteed that we're going to heaven. What a great comfort that is to have that there. By the way, the people that are being judged at the white throne judgment are not those who are in the books of life. What they are going to be judged for is for their works. And they're going to be able to take the Lamb's book of life and the book of life and say, your name's not in any of these. You have to be judged by this book, the book of works of everything that you've done. And they'll be sentenced to that awful place called hell. Which brings me to the third thing, the lake of fire the lake of fire. In the Bible, we have two terms that sometimes are used synonymously, and that is hell and the lake of fire. Right now, if someone was to die without Christ, they would go to the holding chamber of hell. Now, this is a temporary holding place, but it's going to Cough up everyone who ever died. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 13. Revelation 20 and verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Now let's pause. Now this is a poetical term. It doesn't refer to us as much. But a lot of people believe that, you know, back then that the world had edges, whether the world was flat. They had the idea that the seas were so deep in fact, if you were to lose something in the sea, like a submarine, you never get it ever again. Well, God is making a poetical term that it says it doesn't matter where you die, you will still be raised up to face God. There is nowhere you can go that will not come face God. It doesn't matter if there's an astronaut who goes to the moon and he dies and is buried on the moon. He will still have to face God if he never accepted Christ as his savior. There is nowhere to go that a man can escape this sentence if he hasn't accepted Christ as a savior. Notice it says, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So the people that are in the holding chamber of hell right now are going to be brought up and they're going to stand before God. And as bad as the holding chamber of hell is, 
they're going to be sent to somewhere worse. Can you imagine there's a place worse than hell? It's called the lake of fire. Notice what the Bible says. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The Bible describes this place, this second uh, death, this lake of fire as an awful place. Inside of this lake of fire, it's a place where you're being burned and never stop being burned. There's no vacations. There's no passing out. There's no sleeping. There's no rest. It's a place where it is complete and utter darkness. That the type of flames that are flickering there are a black hot flame. That it's so hot that it doesn't waste the energy of light. You cannot see. It is a place where you feel like you're falling forever and ever and ever. You can never get oriented. You can never get to the place where you are stable and sit. You just have that disorienting feeling of turning over and over. No handholds, nothing to grab onto. No stability whatsoever. It's a place of total darkness. It's a place where you're falling forever. It's a place where you hear the cries of other people, but you'll never interact with another soul. You are totally alone. It is not a place where you're going to get a bunch of Budweiser's and sit with your friends and party just because you couldn't make it to the other place. It's a place where you will never see anyone ever again. It's a place... An awful place where you will still crave sin but not be able to satisfy any of those cravings. Any addictions you had will still be there. The drunkard would still want one more drink. The crack addict will still want one more hit. And they'll never be able to fulfill it. They'll still have this flesh in their cravings and never have any way to satisfy them ever again. It's a place of awful oscillation. It's a place where you fully realize what it means to be separated from the presence of God. It is truly an awful place. And this is where anyone goes who's never accepted Christ as their personal Savior. A place where real people will go Not just murderers, not just serial killers, but sweet grandmothers down the street. People who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. There's going to be one more added awful place thing, element of this lake of fire. But I'll explain it in just a second. Because there's a fourth thing I want to bring to our attention here. And it's not... Uh, it's more implied in the text. Notice with me in verse number 10. Revelation 20 and verse 10. And the devil that deceived, sorry, um, the devil that deceived were cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet were and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. In this, it is implied that we, those who survive the trib- uh, who are living in the millennial kingdom and now transitioning, we are going to be witnesses of Satan being judged and we are going to be the witnesses of the people being sent to the lake of fire. What's the fourth thing I want to show you is the witnesses of the judgment. We will be there. Now we're there as spectators, not as active participants. But this is going to be an awful, awful thing. Because we will be witnesses of those that are going to be put into the lake of fire. If you don't mind, imagine with me your divine imagination. We are watching people get judged. And if you don't mind for imagination's sake, let's just say that the people are being judged one by one. And as someone is being judged and put into the lake of fire, we look over and see there's our childhood friend, the friend that we grew up with, 
The friend that we would say best friends forever. The friend that, that knew that <laughs> we knew that we were saved, but we didn't ever tell them. And as they come marching up, it's almost, if you don't mind using your divine imagination, we lock eyes on them just for that moment. And they give you a look. They know they deserve hell. They deserve punishment. But almost with a look, they look at you and say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you warn me? You knew the truth. And you did nothing. You see, this is going to be an awful time for us as well. It is after this event in Revelation 21 that God says that he'll dry the tears off. Why? There's going to be lots of tears this day. Where we're going to see people we knew people we worked with, people we loved, family members, people that we met passing down the street. All of those people are going to be sentenced to that awful place called hell if they didn't accept Christ as their Savior. And we're going to lock eyes with every single one of them. And with a look on their face, almost looking at us, say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? Why is it that a man goes to hell? It's not because he's a sinner. It's because he never accepted Christ as their Savior. And why didn't they accept Christ as their Savior? For the most part is because they were never told. Never made a purposeful, intentional decision to go tell someone. To tell everyone. That hell is a real place. But they don't have to go there if they've accepted Christ as their Savior. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 3, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 33, God gives the prophet there the image of being a warner. In fact, we have some time. Turn there with me. Let's turn to Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33. The prophet Ezekiel is tasked with watching over the captives, the Jewish captives inside of Babylon. He is to pastor them and to watch over them. And twice God gives Ezekiel the very same job. Notice with me the job that he gives. Ezekiel 33 and verse 7. Ezekiel 33 and verse 7, he says, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. He starts off by saying, listen, you're my mouthpiece. I tell you to go warn them. You go warn them on my behalf. You warn them for me. You're the human instrument who is tasked with warning them. Verse 8, when I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. In the verses above, Ezekiel was equivalent of being a watchman. Back then, the cities had a, a, a fence, a gate, sorry, walls around the city. And they would have every once in a while a watchtower. And the watchman's job was to look out to make sure everyone was safe. And if they could see some wild animals hunting, they would warn the people, don't go outside, they're animals. If they would see bandits come in, they were to warn, hey, there's crooks out here. They're trying to steal stuff. Prepare. If they saw an evading army come, hey, there's an army out here. Let's prepare. But if the watchman saw the warning, saw the people come, but they failed to warn them, the people would die in their own sins, but the watchman would be the one in trouble. If someone could say, I could see that there's an evading army, but I don't warn the people to be prepared. They will die. But it was the watchman's fault. God says, Ezekiel, I told you the truth that people are going to die. 
You are my mouthpiece. It is your job to warn them. And if you forbear to warn them, notice again in verse 8, and when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way. The wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But notice this, but his blood will I require at thy hand. It is my personal belief this is carried out at the white throne judgment. That is, we watch these people that we had interactions with. Now remember, we will have a perfect redeemed body. We will have perfect memory. And we will remember when we interacted with that person. We'll remember that opportunity. We could have warned them. And we're going to see them come. And they're going to look at us and say, why didn't you warn me? It is my personal belief that we're going to realize how much blood we have on our hands because we failed to warn them. We had the truth. We knew how to get to heaven. We were saved ourselves, but we did not do anything to stop them. Why is it that a man goes to hell? It is not because he's a sinner and it's not because of the types of sins he has. It's because he's never accepted Christ as a savior. And a lot of times, why didn't someone accept Christ as his savior? We failed to warn them. We failed to tell them. It is our fault. They're dying because of their sins and their sentence to hell. But it was our fault for not warning them. For not doing everything we could to stop them. Bloody hands. You understand this white throne judgment is an awful thing for everyone involved. The people being sentenced to that awful place called hell. But for all of us who witnessed this and realized we should have could done something and we could have done something and we failed. Bloody hands. Bloody hands. What makes this even worse for those people who go to that awful place of the lake of fire? Turn with me, if you don't mind, Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65 gives us a little preview of eternity future. And it starts off with a very powerful declarative statement. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. So if you were in Ezekiel, just turn the other direction towards the front. Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah, Isaiah. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, and look with me in verse 11. Isaiah 65, verse 11. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former, meaning the former heaven, the former earth, shall not be remembered nor come to mind. One of the things about eternity future is we'll no longer remember the things that happened before, either in earth or in the millennial kingdom. Those things will be left to mind. Why? Because how can we enjoy a perfect heaven when we know that some of our loved ones are in an awful place called hell? So God calls us as a kindness to us. Causes us where we'll no longer remember it. But you know what that means? Those people who are in the lake of fire who are falling forever and ever and being burned and never breaks and just a pit of darkness. That also means that another thing they'll have to face is no one will ever remember them again our loved ones, our families. When I was a kid, I had this school assignment of writing a paper on the person I most respected. And we were small kids then. And most of the kids my age were writing a, a paper about how much they loved mom or how much they loved dad. I decided I was going to write one about my grandfather. My grandfather was a veteran of World War II. He was on the beaches of Normandy during the D-Day invasions. He was at the Battle of the Bulge. He endured so much, worked as an 
auto mechanic after the wars and supported his family. And to me, he was my hero. But time and time again, people would attempt to witness to him and he would reject it. He even refused to have a funeral at a church because he hated God. As he was dying, he uh, (laughs) slipped into a coma. And I remember gathering friends and family and said, let's pray that he could wake up one last time and that someone could present with him the gospel. And we prayed and guess what? He awoke and he was lucid for a small amount of time. And someone went and tried to present him with the gospel. And yet he still rejected it that one last time. My grandfather passed soon afterwards. And unless something happened that I don't know, he is currently present tense in the holding chamber of hell right now. A real person in a real place. And the man that I once wrote a paper on about the person I most respected One day, in eternity future, I won't even remember he existed. What an awful place hell is. What an awful place that lake of fire is. And it is a place where real people go. And they go to a very real place. And now is the only time we have to warn them to stop them, to beg them, to let them know that this is real. Now they make their own choice. Our responsibility is to give them the information. We need to at least do that. Because when it's all said and done, we will be witnesses of that time. And we're going to realize all the people that we failed to warn that we should have. And at the great white throne, we as witnesses there are going to realize we had bloody hands. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.